Hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's Cab Chat podcast. I'm Dr. Mindy Waite, and we have with us Dr. Jessica Lockhart. Hello, everybody. And then today we have special guests who you have all heard before, and that's Dr. Terry Bright, who is the Director of Behavior Services at MSPCA Angel. And for those of you who remember the last time she was on, she also talked about a, uh, a, a new peer-reviewed journal that she was launching, and it has since launched. So she's also Dr. Terry Bright, editor of the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis in Animal Training. So hi, Thank Terry. You. Hello. Yes. Um, so at the end, I definitely want to chat just briefly about, about the journal, because I do think that's really interesting. And I want people to know that it exists and why it exists and what is in it, because I have a feeling that the audience would want to read some of the articles that will soon be coming out um, in this journal. But the reason we brought Terry here today is to chat about a topic that I told Terry, like, Jessica and I may disagree on, we'll see. And that is, what is an appropriate process for when a client reaches out to you as a behavior professional, but before you have actually formally taken them on as a client and then how, how you onboard them. And so Terry, the reason this was of interest is um, I didn't realize that there were different opinions on what you are ethically and maybe legally, we were probably not getting to the legal legality of it, but what you're ethically required to do when someone reaches out to you as a client but before they're your client. So for example, if someone reaches out and they say, I have this dog and like, it's, it's going to really hurt somebody, you know, and you're really busy, which everybody is these days. I'm sure MSPC angels know different, you know, what, what are your ethical, what do you think are the ethical um, uh, requirements for you as the professional when someone reaches out to you? And I know you guys have a great process at angel. So maybe just start by telling us a little bit about well, I guess you want to start with like what you think the ethics are or what, where, do you, where do you want to start? Sure. So I will give you our general um, process, which is if somebody wants a behavioral appointment, then they might write in on a behavior at mspca.org or they might send me an email or contact us by the telephone. And we send out just a little blurb that says, and they also can fill out a blurb on the website that says, send me information. And we send them a blurb that says, thank you for contacting us. This is what's available. Myself, my colleague, Jocelyn Strassel. This is how much it costs. This is what happens. Um, and if you want to be considered for an appointment, fill out this form. And there's a web form they filled out, fill out that's really long that gives medical behavioral history, um, and then my colleague, Jocelyn Strassel, and I review every one of these long intake forms as to their appropriateness for being our patient. Because for us, we're, we're part of a tertiary veterinary hospital that's one of the largest in the country. And so we get some pretty intense requests, some of which aren't appropriate for us. You know, some with a um, dog who's very old, has tremendous cognitive difficulties, or dogs that are on five types of medication um, and have terrible hate behavior problems, things that are better served by, by a veterinary behaviorist, we will instead send them a note that says, here are the local veterinary behaviorists, and that's what we recommend. If it's a case that we would take, but it seems 
we, we triage everyone. You know, obviously, if one comes in and there's danger to a child involved or danger to someone in the home that's imminent, then we will make that, we will bump that up as a priority. We have like a four to six month waiting list anyway. And so anyone is going to get their initial appointment probably in April as of now, which is November. And so we would put that case at the beginning of the waiting list saying, when you see this number kind of on your phone, you answer it and we'll, we'll bump you up to the top and we'll triage things involving imminent danger um, to myself or to Jocelyn right away. And we'll and see them right away. Let me follow up on that. So when you say you bump them to the top, does that mean like if somebody cancels, like you'll, you'll get this person in? Got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are high, high priorities. And and any kind of severe danger, um, if they can't come in or they can't come in for a while, then then I will call them or Jocelyn will call them and we'll say, here's where you get a muzzle. Here's where you can board your dog if you don't feel they're safe in the home. Um, and, and we will have a conversation because we have to sleep at night, you know, and and we and these are urgent problems. They're urgent, you know, and so we provide urgent care to the extent that we can. Yeah, and I think, um, Gary, you, you sort of glossed over a really important issue here is that behaviorists are booked months out in advance. Like I think actual certified behaviorists who sort of have that knowledge set and that skill set, we don't have openings tomorrow. Um, it, I don't know about everyone, I, you know, I don't want to speak for everyone in the profession, but I know where I am, there's really only two of us seeing cases and it's, you know, a three to six month waiting list. Like you said, it just sort of depends on the time of year. Um, and I do see that clients get frustrated because I think they, they can reach out. They're like, well, we called a Petco and we could get in next week. You know, I'm like, well, we're talking about two very different scenarios. <laughs> and, and like you said, when it, someone calls in with something that's really dangerous, where there, there is a threat to someone um, in the family or neighborhood, or, you know, you, you can kind of tell by the information they send in, this needs to be addressed. There are some things you can do quickly on a phone, like here's some stop gaps for right now until we can meet. Do you feel this is something that you can do or accomplish? Do you understand the severity of this um, and especially when there is a child involved a lot of those parents are, are pretty desperate and rightly so um, but unfortunately you know your schedule is is your schedule and the, there's no creating time that doesn't exist so taking that time out to make those phone calls is I think it is an important thing um, and so I don't know, I, I would definitely agree with everything that you said. I don't know how else to address something like that when yeah. a behavior that's schedule tough. is that tight. I, well, I love the waitlist idea. Like, I think that's, that's superb of like, I will get you in, but you need to be willing to make the effort to be, to be picking up that call because it will be last minute. And I am, I mean, you are, I guess you're doing each other favors. Like they're filling a slot that you now have open, but like, you're also putting them to the front of the waitlist. Um, I know Jessica, you had said previously that you also, if I recall, make those calls. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll tell you, I, I don't, and I, I don't gather that much information up front. 
And I know there are multiple different ways of, of doing this, but my, I actually, I gather a lot of my information during, during the consult itself, because reviewing all that information takes time. And I, I want to be paid for that time, essentially. So I, I, I totally see where the two of you are coming from. And I totally respect that. Um, it's when I first started thinking about like the consulting business, I very much learned from Suzanne and Dan, who I think have a, a pretty different model of like, you're going to be paid for your time. And so that's, I think, one of the reasons I have subscribed sort of to that, a very different direction. And so the difference is, you know, when I, I don't, I typically don't know that someone, there's a kid who's going to be really hurt until like I'm in the consult with them, where it sounds like you guys know upfront how severe this problem is. And then that definitely puts you in a very different position. Well, one difference for me is I'm on a salary, you know, so, so this is not piecework for me. And, and our goal at Angel is to provide superlative service to potential Angel clients. And so that, that makes it different. I mean, when I had a private practice, when I was a dog trainer, um, I think it was different, but, but, you know, Mindy, you make such a good point, which is no matter what comes in on that 10 page assessment, once you get the person and the animal in front of you, you know, all of that indirect assessment can go right out the window. Everything they said, your whole hypothesis, this is going to be this, 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 and this. I'm going to talk about this, this, and then three sentences in, and you're like completely taken left. And so um, you're right. You're, you, I mean, you make such a good point that once you're there, you know what the real story is in, in ways, and especially if you're in someone's home versus in a clinic room, you're seeing some real up up close and personal behavior that I'm not going to see in a veterinary clinic. Yeah, I would say, I think I'm just, I'm just still kind of a sucker because people will write in, we have, I'm desperate. I need the, I'm like, okay, I'm on the phone, you know, let's get through this. I've gotten a little bit better at it. Um, I used to just get on the like, look, this is what you're going to have to do. I want everybody to be safe. And then why don't we schedule something? And people are like, no, let's try it. I'm just going to try what you told me. <laughs> I'm like, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the goal. Yeah, of that's terrible. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do still, if I get panic calls, I, I will still just, like, Oh, you've got your phone know. number out there. People get it. <laughs> and, and then they hold on to it and they don't, and they don't forget it. <laughs> well, so. you know, pe people will, sometimes that phone call can, can turn into something quick. So mm -hmm. like things are going not well, but better this week. And we're thinking of sending him to board and train. What do you think about that? And I can, I can put the kibosh on that in 30 seconds and say, I don't recommend it. I'm going to send you a handout. And we have a bank of handouts. And if it turns out to be like a mouthing problem or, or, you know, severe housing, house training problem that, that, that we can send that kind of stuff out to help people in the interim. But if it's someone who says this problem has been going on for eight months and I've been to four different trainers, that's not an emergency, you know, yeah. but if the child has been bitten in the face three times in the last six months, you're going to sit in my office and we're going to talk about it. Yeah, that's, yeah. 
that's super fair. Um, I was going to say something about, so one thing that I, I really liked that you, you said, Terry, which makes me wonder if like, there's like an in-between world here is, is you've got these handouts and I could see a world where like just based off of the information that you gather instead of like someone who has a practice who, you know, is paid piecemeal, as you said, maybe instead of like having that phone call, which could be five minutes or frankly, it could be an hour. Um, even if you do try to keep it pretty short, maybe instead there's a world where that person could like direct them to a specific page or send them certain documentation that says, you know, we're not going to have a call because I obviously don't have my, my schedules booked, but like, here is some safety, like really easy to send safety information that takes very little of my efforts. I've already, you know, gathered the information and I'm just going to send it to you so that you have something. Jessica, what do you think about that? Yeah, I actually, I do that. I have a, a banked set of handouts and whether it's training protocols, um, behavior mod protocols, just, it kind of depends what they've contacted me about. Um, I have kind of a stopgap protocol. So, okay, you contacted me that this is what's happening. I'm going to send you a list of a couple of things. Um, you can put these in place, look over it. If you have questions, let me know. If it's something that's just, I wouldn't be a good fit for, um, I do have some local resources that I'll try to get them in contact with. I always feel bad when someone calls and they're like, you know, my, I have a six month old puppy and he's jumping, he's not listening and I need to learn how to sit and I need to learn all this stuff. I'm like, that's, I understand. Yes, you do. But that's not really where I focus my attention, but let me pair you up with someone who would be really good for that. Cause you're, you're really describing normal puppy behavior. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's just, it's not worth you sitting around waiting for six months to see me when you need help right now for something like that. So um, I do have kind of a list of local resources that I try and help out with. And, and I do have some kind of bank websites and things that I'll send people. Yeah, that's so true. It's so true. And, and we also have this great thing now where you can say, send me a video. You're concerned, mm -hmm. send me a video of it, you know, and we'll look at everything. You know, and yeah. and sometimes it turns into like, mm, no, what you need is the puppy play and learn class. You do not need a consult, you know, um, and sometimes it's like, uh, can you come tomorrow? I'm going to fit you in before we see appointments. So, yeah. yeah, those those videos that everyone can take now are so valuable. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm curious. I will tell you, Terry, I, I have a very short a relatively short intake form just to give me like a general flavor. Um, and I do have a, a piece on there where I say like, if you have a video, like don't take a new video, if so, like it's going to put someone in danger. But yeah. If you have a video, you know, put your link in here and nobody ever puts that video link in there. And I'm always disappointed. So <laughs> oh. maybe you have to ask for it specifically. I think part of it is that people don't know how to upload it to YouTube. They mm. need help, you know, so we just have them, you know, we have the separate, email the behavior at mspca.org that goes for the general stuff. We just have them email the video there and the, by Dropbox or whatever kind of magic, um, the younger people figure that out for me, um, mm -hmm. the magic, and then, and then I can watch it. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, but mm -hmm. Mindy, you bring up a really good point because I'll, I'll ask for videos and I have to stop and say, please do not put your animals in this situation to elicit a dangerous behavior. Like, you know, you don't need to bring your dog by 
the baby that the dog has yeah. growled and snapped at. <laughs> you don't need to put your two dogs together and let me see a full fight. I don't need to see that. Like, um, you know, trying to really stress the fact that I, I don't have to see the worst case scenario to fully understand the, the situation. And if you can I, safely I still, obtain a video. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, I go into, Lots of detail about what I mean by safely. Because some people are like, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. I might get bit once or twice. I'm like, that's not safe. That's not safely. So, no. um, yeah, I think I, I'm still always surprised when people are like, okay, well, I'm just going to let them go at it. And they're going to start to fight. I'm like, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to, we're not going to let that happen today. <laughs> the other, the other thing I, I want to follow up on sort of like this, this thought process of like onboarding people that Terry had mentioned is you know, if you, if you collect more information up front and just going to sort of riffing off you as well, if you collect information up front, then you have a better idea of like, whether you're an appropriate fit for this person based on the skill set that you have and the interest that you have and the, the problem that they have. Right. And, um, the, I think one of the, the, another ethical issue, which is why this actual conversation came up is sometimes these patients need to, these clients need to go to a vet or a vet behaviorist, right? Um, and the vet behaviorists are booked out just as long, if not longer than everybody else. And so I had heard, I think it was a vet behaviorist recently said something like, look, I'm not going to get these people in for six months. Like there are no cancellations. It's going to be six months period, end of story. Uh, will you just take them and do something for them in the mean? I mean, obviously you can't have a six month wait list like Terry does. That's not helpful either, but can you do something for them? Even though, you know, you're, you as a trainer or you as a behaviorist or you as whatever level you're at is really not what they need. Anything will do for them at this point. And I thought that was a really interesting viewpoint. I'm not totally sure how I feel about that, but is something better than nothing? On, on that note, I think there are times where I'll contact, you know, people will contact me by email and I'll tell them, okay, these are my rates. This is what I offer. This is what it looks like. If you have questions, we can set up a pre-consult phone call, which is basically, it's basically a 20 minute pre, pre-client interview. And Can you it, charge for that? It's really, I don't, I don't offer any advice or solutions either, but it's really a chance for me to fully understand what I'm getting into. Cause I used to just kind of cold call Here it is. I'll show up. And half the time what they described in the email was not what I was seeing. Um, and so by having this quick kind of 20 minute phone call, I can really get at the meat of it. I'm like, okay, you say that your dog is aggressive. You said that in the email that you sent me, um, what do you see as aggressive? And we can go from there. And um, there have been times where I've talked to somebody, I'm like, before I even show up, you need to go to a vet. You know, we're, we're going to stop our conversation right now. And I'll ask, like, when's the last time you went to a vet? What's what's the medical care? Because what you're describing to me sounds more like a pain conditioner. What you're describing sounds more like something is uncontrolled that we need to get to. And because if I show up to someone's house, I'm charging them for the full visit, whether it's 10 minutes or, you know, it's the full two hours. Um, And this has helped get people in the right path because sometimes they just need to see their vet. They don't even have to see 
a veterinary behaviorist, like probably in the end they do, but right off the bat, there's an underlying medical issue going on. And then we can start doing BMOD and then we can see if we need to add a veterinary behaviors consult on top of all that. So um, again, I, you know, I've, I've got my little network and we kind of work together because <laughs> there's a lot of components to it. And I, I think having that pre-meeting information is important. Um, we do require I, I, that someone that someone's pet has seen a vet within six months to a year, depending on the condition mm -hmm. before we'll see them. You know, if it's a yeah. cat, new new cat problem, always have to see the vet first. Some dogs can go longer, but mm -hmm. but yeah, we'll roll that out first. It it's the the dearth of veterinary behaviorists is a problem and there aren't even many coming down the pike. You know, if you look at the six places that, that have residents, um, the few that have residents are residents from that town who are probably gonna stay there afterwards. So it's, it's a real problem. And if, if someone, and the most popular or the most experienced veterinary behaviorist in my state um, just stopped taking new patients at all. Um, so it's a problem. Uh, luckily, some, some, many vets are experienced at prescribing medication, um, just the basic kind of stuff. And after kind of showing some literature to some of our vets at Angel, I've been emboldened to send literature to vets on the use of different drugs, but I am so not giving advice on drugs. I'll say to people, you know, it's up to your vet. And then I'll call their vet and say, all right, what's in your toolkit? And if they've got nothing, then I have people at Angel who, who have more than nothing you know, they're not veterinary behaviorists, but they maybe have taken a seminar or are very experienced with um, prescribing anxiolytics. But, but yeah, it, it's a problem. The, 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 the problems are so much worse than they were 15 years ago. These poor people and their poor animals. It's just, it's, it's terrible, awful for everybody. So yeah, Terry, it is. And, oh, go for it. Oh, I was just going to add, you know, it really is terrible because there's a huge emotional toll to living mm -hmm. with animals like this. And it's, it's not a nothing event in people's lives. It's, it usually disrupts their entire lifestyle. And so when they finally reach a point where they need help, the last thing they are ready to hear is, well, it's going to be six months, you know, and, and that's hard. So I, yeah. And I there's so many people who are willing to take their money who aren't qualified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big problem. Anyway, that's, that's a huge problem. <laughs> well, so it's, it's interesting you say that Terry, because I'm curious if, um, if you have a client come to you and obviously you guys know what the heck you're doing. So people want to come to you and that's why you have a six month wait list and you say it's going to be six months and they're not that person who you're going to like squeak in, you know, earlier. Do you ever do you ever just refer out just to get them someone earlier? Like, do you ever refer out to like a local, you know, trainer that you guys really like working with or. If, if there is someone like that and it's that kind of a case, then absolutely. But, but again, I think it's because we're at angel. 
we have like dogs going out the window with separation anxiety and, yeah. and terrible, you know, level four bites, aggression and things that the local dog trainers are not qualified to help with. You know, it's like once we have someone in and we know what the level of problem is, then we have our own trainers that we can send to work with people in their homes. But the the problem is that the, the local trainers who I care about and am really fond of, they know how to do certain things and they just don't know assessment, you know, because what you learn as a behaviorist is how to assess issues. They know how to teach things and they have, you know, a, a bank of behaviors that they can teach, but they're in front of the animal. They can't assess what's needed and, I don't know if it's necessarily better because sometimes, okay, dog might learn hand targeting, but they don't learn how to recognize when the dog is going to bite somebody, you know? So I, I absolutely use people that, that we cross refer with, but the cases that we get are not dog training cases their behavior cases with a capital B. Right. Do you, even knowing how, how severe that is, do you, um, let me take a step back. There's a huge access issue in, in human behavioral health. Like right now the access issue is, is wild. Part of it is because like everyone needs help right now. And part of it is because the, the system is set up where people you get in to see a therapist and then you like, you stick with that person for a couple of years, even though in reality, like it should be much shorter than that. Um, and so I'm curious, do you guys ever, to improve access, do you guys ever go in, do that assessment, put a plan in place, and then like refer the rest of it out? Or like, you know, how do you, how do you try to make the access faster for people so that you have more slots? Well, we, if, if it's a, like a severely reactive dog, for example, then, then I'll write the behavior plan and then we'll refer it to one of our in-house trainers, you know? And they'll work with the dog and the person. Um, and most people, if they do what we say, then they come back for one or two rechecks in, in four months and then eight months. And then they're pretty much good to go. You oh, know? So you're, I, I, I'm just really curious here because I know people have very different models of how they do it. So, so you're sort of seeing it um, baseline four months, like six months, you're not doing like every two weeks or something mm -mm. like that. Oh, no, 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 no. God, we could never do that. No. What we do is we see you. Um, there's no charge for the next four months. Follow up emails. If you have any questions, you can email us every day. Um, after that, you have a 30 minute recheck. And then if we need to see you again, we'll see you again in four months. Um, or we'll, we'll send you out to one of our trainers or maybe into one of the classes. You know, if by that time, the dog is working for them, then, then they can go to a, into a nosework class or an obedience class or something. Got it. So they might see the trainer every two weeks, but for, for, for your level of IC, that makes a lot of sense. So you're really getting yeah. a lot of dogs through that or animals, I should say, a lot of animals through. Mostly dogs, a few cats. Yeah. We, we see about 400 animals a year, I think. That's a lot. Feels like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I think another thing that maybe people don't understand is that 
behavior appointments are not 12 minute appointments. You know, you're, you're not showing up and here's your answer and I'll see it in a little while. I mean, this is, it is. I wish. Right. There are days. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) But yeah, they are, they're not fast in and out types of things. Um, I would say seeing it at my, at the time where I was driving myself as crazy as possible, I was seeing three cases a day. And that was, that was just start in the morning and go all day long. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but when it's, you know, a minimum of two hours at every person's home and going through teaching and training and okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up everything. Um, you know, it, these are not easy cases by any means. So if someone's never met with a behavior professional before and maybe doesn't know what to expect, I mean, it's, it's a lot, but the other big issue is that that first initial visit is kind of 99% of it. So it's really going through the full assessment, the background, here's all your trigger points, here's what's going on, here's how we're gonna address everything. This is what we're gonna put in place and you have to stick to it and then you have to add the time. You know, I can't add the time and that's the important thing and you have to be consistent and we're gonna do it together, it's gonna be great. And really stressing, if you have a question, call me now, don't wait for your follow-up appointment where you've spent this whole time either doing it a little bit weird or you were like, I don't think this is right, but I'm just going to do it this way. And we'll talk later, you know, trying to convince people to reach out and actually ask before they just invest we, the time. You know, we reach out to them. I mean, and, and granted, again, mm-hmm. a big place, a full-time staff of, I don't know, five people and then lots of trainers, but, but we, we don't leave it up to them in two weeks. Um, the staff mm-hmm. sends an email. How's it going? Anything to brag about or any concerns? Are you implementing your behavior plans? Do you have any questions for Dr. Bright? Um, because mm-hmm. I know that the veterinary behaviors that I've worked with, they do not do that. They're like, okay, you call me in two weeks. And we're just not having mm-hmm. that. That's not the way we work, us, us guys. You know, we want to know what are you doing? What's happening? Yeah. You know, so, but, but I do not do two-hour appointments. These are one-hour appointments. One hour, but I also I have a technician, so mm. I'm talking and I'm in the front row and mm-hmm. and you know so much part of it, Jessica. Like like the, the people in the room, there's so many motivations going on there. Yeah. So many different behaviors. This one's got mm. their arms folded. This one's crying. This one's not listening to a thing you say, and you have to address all of that along with the dog that is that dog going to bite me? I can't see my feet right now. Where's the dog kind of thing for an hour, you know? And, and it's a lot, but a lot. you get used to it. And people, like we said, we were talking before we started, sometimes those three appointments, you go home and you're just on a cloud. Oh my God, I helped everybody. They were so grateful. And somehow you're like, nope, I'm driving right in front of that train. That just killed me dead. It was so horrible. And you just don't know. But but people like you, you put your heart on the line. It's mm-hmm. so emotional. You're you it's so therap therap it's all the therapies, you know, therapeutic, therapizing. 
therapy. Yeah. And I will say, Terry, that's, that's part of why, like, I, I almost always will charge for my time. Even if it's like a 15 minute phone call, like I'm going to charge you for it because it's so much out of me. And I, we put in so Mm -hmm. much more than people I think, think you do like you're spot on the way you describe that room. Oh my God. It's like my life. Like you're in this room and you're like, you're right. The one person, like the the two people disagree and the one person doesn't believe you. And the other person like has paid for you. And the other person's upset that that the other person paid for you because they don't believe what you have to say. And the dog is where the hell is the dog? Like I'm sure he's right (laughs) behind me. And the dog keeps getting closer as you're talking and the leash just Mm -hmm. keeps getting more slack. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the clients who let their dogs sneak off behind you, like, he can't go behind me. <laughs> and they don't understand why, but he's just casually walking behind you. I'm like, no, that's not yeah. what's happening here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's common. But yeah. I, I will say, cause I, I do in-home visits um, and I always get asked, do we all need to be there? And I've finally gotten to the point where I'm like, look, I only have limited spots available and I know we need to work to get it in. So at this point, what I'm going to ask is the person who's least likely to believe me is the one I need to meet with. Oh, I like that line. And so um, a lot of times that helps them decide who needs to be there and who doesn't. And, you know, and it, it's made a big difference going forward because also then it's, it's kind of like, well, then you're the one meeting with her because she's going to understand that you don't believe her. (laughs) And it, it allows them to ask questions and it lets me see, all right, let me talk to the, you know, the rock in the room that I need to, that I need to change. So um, that's, that's helped. The other thing I'm sort of thinking of, I'm trying, this is sort of slightly off topic, but I'm, I'm toying with totally revamping like my entire behavior consulting model to incorporate to, to be more focused so that I can be more efficient in terms of like how I serve people. And so one of those components is focusing on specific behaviors so that I have very specific paperwork or very specific homework or very specific videos that are preset. So when I send these people off, like not only do I have a very brief written consult and like, I probably have a video of them like working on the behavior so they can see like what that protocol looked like with their own dog, but also like a bunch of videos particular to the protocol that I know I'm going to do with the majority of clients so that like, instead of, so that the meetings can be as short as possible for them, I can fit in more clients while also serving them and providing them with as much information as I can, but not all at once, because that, that first meeting I think can be very overwhelming for a lot of people. And then they walk away and are like, I don't even know what just, what just happened. We do that. We, you know, for everything that we talk about, they get a blurb in their report saying, this is how you do it. This is how your dog should do it. Here's a video of it. You know, so there's videos of everything, you know, so they, they, because you're right, people hear blah, 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 ginger, and they, they're just not even paying attention. They're just so overwhelmed that you said, I don't know if you should keep this dog. What? You know, so, um, but yeah, videos of everything. So then Terry, the sort of like the last question I would have for you is with some of these cases that you see that are, or, or get intakes about that are so severe, do you ever just based on the information that you get from the intake, 
just kind of make a recommendation of like, this does not sound, this does not sound safe and like socially acceptable, or do you always try to get them in before you sort of have that conversation? Well, if the, my, my kind of radar is if it's something that is so dangerous and I call the people and they say they're afraid of the dog, then my goal is to get the dog out of the house. You know, you shouldn't keep this dog. And where else can the dog go? Can it be boarded at the vet? Can you board it somewhere? Um, if you're afraid of the dog, you shouldn't have the dog. And if it's that clear, then, then I don't even want them to come in. I want the dog out of the house, you know? Um, if they come in, I mean, if, it, if the dog is dangerous and is like human aggressive and there could be things that could be done to help, then I'll make sure the dog's muzzled to come in. We have a tether in the room and, you know, go through that. That It's never the most terrifying ones on paper that are the ones that bite you, you know? So, um, but, but you, if you can't talk people out of it on the phone, out of keeping the dog, and they, some people just have to sit in the room and you, they have to hear it in person, you know? And it's rare because usually they already know if they're that scared what the outcome is going to be, but it's um, sometimes they bring the dog in because they think something can be done. And very occasionally something can be done very, very, mm -hmm. very occasionally. And so just like, I mean, you all are still in the front lines in people's homes and boy, that's, you, you just, it's a little terrifying. Out. Yeah. Honestly, it's a little scary. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. I would say I could I could count probably on one hand the number of times where I'm just like I'm I'm not even coming to see your dog based on this history and you know we need to talk about we need to talk about something else and and um and a lot of times I'll tell people you know you've, you've described every red flag that there is in the book you've and you've done it without knowing you're describing the red flags, you know? And, and so a lot of times I'll tell them like, you have two choices here. Number one, this isn't a, a safe animal and I would not recommend going forward with it. But that being said, if you insist on keeping this animal in your home, I will come and give you an in-person evaluation of the exact level of risk you are living with. Um, and that might be that I don't make it through your front door. You know, and and usually that level of honesty they appreciate. I've never had a client say, I can't believe you're telling me this over the phone. You know, I have a lot of people when they're calling and you're having that conversation, they already know. They mm -hmm. just haven't found somebody that's willing to listen to them and have the conversation with them. Mm -hmm. They'll get on the phone with some of these quote unquote trainers who are like, we can fix everything and we guarantee it's going to be fine. Um, and they're like, I just called this person and they said that if I send them in two weeks, the dog will be safe and happy and, and I'll be able to pet him and hug him and take him into public. And it's like, but your dog has, you know, he mauled your neighbor, he bit your husband, he, you know, killed your cat. And now this person is telling you they can make that animal safe in two weeks. 
you know. Oh, we've got I, a local guy who does that all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed, never failed. <laughs> How those people yeah. don't get sued for saying that, I don't know, but. I have no idea, but man, it's sad, but you know, like I said, there's been a handful of times where I'm just like, there's, I I would not feel safe being in the same vicinity yeah. with the animal you're describing. And then there are some people who are like, we just adopted it two weeks ago and it's done X, Y, Z. And I'm like, if you're not attached, call that rescue. Yeah, now's um, the time. Yeah, because it it could just be this is a bad placement, and it. But if you stay and try and stick it out, then all of a sudden the dog might have a broken skin bite on its record, and there's not going to be an option. So yeah, that's the other thing I try to communicate is you know what are the options given the dog's history? If the dog is broken skin on multiple people, a lot of people well we'll just try to rehome it. And I'm like let's stop and think about that statement before we do that. You know, is, is that ethically? Okay. How do you feel about this dog in your home? Knowing that someone else knew that about this dog before they adopted it out. Right. And a lot of times that puts it in perspective to you for them. You know, it's, I know we're like slightly off topic here, but that is the way I structure my consults these days is like, it's a two-parter. The first part is a, it's like a Zoom or, or telephone, whatever people want. It's really just so we can see face-to-face basically while, while talking virtually. Uh, and, and so it's like a 45 minute, usually it actually goes for like an hour, you know, gather information, go through that risk, you know, checklist that Dan and Suzanne have that like Pam Reed is also sort of like building up her own, go through that risk checklist, describe all the risks to the person, um, all the pros and the cons of the dog, right? Um, talk a little bit about potential prognosis, even though you're really just, you're just guessing based off of, you know, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that really is to help me prepare for like, how will we safely set up so I can come into this home? Because I don't want to get bit. Like period. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. I, I had days like that. And even so, um, we do the same thing. People have to get their dog through a big old lobby. I mean, a big lobby and then down around the corner and down the hall. And I'll tell you when vets and vet techs see me walking by with a patient with the dog, they like flatten themselves against the wall. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, you know, how you doing? <laughs> but yeah, it's safety first, right? It's, for sure. Um, for sure. And then it's a challenge because if it's at a, from the dog's point of view, if their history with the vet is not good, now where there are they in a vet's office, you know, and the people would say, should I give them the vet, the meds that they usually get before they go to the vet? Well, I don't necessarily want to see that, but then the dog's in the vet's office and I'm like, Oh, maybe that was the wrong thing to do. So (laughs) it's so, so hard to know and tough on the dogs. Easier for the dogs to be at home. Easier for the dogs to be on Zoom. Let's face it. Um, Amen. Amen. Because I don't need to, you know, we had this conversation. I think um, Camille Ward this summer was on a, a, maybe it was a year ago now, a Zoom call with calves. And she was like, I love virtual because you've got all these aggressive dogs and I don't need to see it. I don't need to be there to see the dog. Like, I believe everything you've said. I can see it virtually or not. I totally believe everything you say. Here's the protocol we're going to work on. Like, you just need some some friends who are going to help you with the protocol, basically. So. Yeah. Yeah, that would be yeah. A, good, a good topic because, because now that we're back in person, yeah. it was so great on Zoom. What things are we seeing in person that we didn't see on Zoom? And they're like, well, 
Maybe yeah. we did miss some things, you know? We, I think we did yeah. miss some things. I think we did too. I think we did our best. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will say though that nine out of 10 times, my cat consults, I I prefer to do them virtually just because of how finicky cats can be and just a stranger Yeah, you get nothing out of home. a cat. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, just, can you, let's just get on Zoom and, and just run yeah. around behind your cat with your computer. That's perfect. That's all I need. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, I agreed gosh. about the cats. <sighs> you are right. So, um, so Terry, before we let you go, one thing I do want to just quick chat about, even though it's, it's, it's sort of extraneous, but, um, interesting is this, this journal that you have launched. Um, I'm hoping you can just tell people a little bit about it because it is brand new. It'll have a different type of article in it that I think will be very relevant to the majority of, of people who are interested in animal behavior. So some of us are behavior analysts, which is a different kind of psychological study and it's basically along those lines of Skinner and Pavlov and single subject design and could be any kind of animal could be a lab animal could be a pet could be an animal in a um in an aquarium or in a zoo um and again single subject design and it could be a case study you know someone who's a dog trainer could take pre and post data um, on a training that they did and, and write it up with the references and send it in and it will be considered. So really excited about it. We're, it's still pretty new. We have, um, I think three different articles that are under consideration. Now, if we get like one more and it's good to go, then we'll be ready to publish our first one. It will be online, it's open access. Um, of course, it'll be a long time before it's a real like heavy lifting journal, but, but it's a start because if, if people who are behavior analysts, there's so few places that they can publish, um, you know, Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis. Um, and, and then the animal journals all use inferential data you know, what are the means and the things and the inferential stats and things like that, that behavior analysts do not take that kind of data. That's just not what we do. So that's the goal. And if people have research, then they can go to www.jabaat.org and um, read all about it and submit something. Love to see it. Super quick question to follow it up. Um, from the from the case study standpoint, would they need IACUC approval for that? Or because it's a case study and not like research, would they not? Do you know off the top of your head? Well, it's more, does their research match the, the World Ethics Organization? I forget what the moniker is. You know, basically, is it, can you make a statement and show that what you did was ethical? You know, it, you do not need IACUC approval. No, 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 no. Excellent. Thank God. <laughs> no. Not that I cook approval is a bad thing, but you know. No, as my dad no, would say, it, not it only no, limiting. but hell no. <laughs> yeah, IACUC approval can be limiting, not because it's difficult to get, but not everybody has access to an IACUC. Um, if you're, you know, you do private consoles, but hey, I want to do this study. Well, you can't just call up a university and say, can I borrow your IACUC for an approval for this, even though nope. I'm <laughs> Um, 
Yeah. yeah. So it can be, it can be limiting. Um, so it's nice that you can just make a, an ethic statement. So long as people are following the IACUC rules, which are easily locatable. Um, just be ethical. That's all we ask. That doesn't seem yeah. like a lot to ask. No. <laughs> well, there's a whole manual yeah. on how to be ethical, right? That's true. <laughs> but so yeah, we'll put the, we'll put the link on the website so that people can go to it. Thank and, you. and I'm super pumped that, um, the articles we published like 2022. I hope so. You know, we, we need more articles and mm -hmm. this was, you know, this is a dream when I was still getting my master's, I sat I, and I was at ABAI conference and I sat with my mentor at the time. Um, we had coffee one morning. He said, you know, you really need to start a journal for this. And I said, what a great idea. And I literally came up with the, the title and bought the, the um, web address, like, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And then it just took me that long to get everything going. And, and now so many people that are in the ABAI special interest group are, are on the panel and we just need more research. And I, I think ultimately it's going to be a great thing. Yeah, as I as I posted on my Facebook page the other day, we need more people to to pay for more research, but that that too. Cuz so many of us I think are just doing it just like you are on your free time whatever that means. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Just to, just to help people. I just want to see those dots and those graphs, you know? Up 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 down down down. That's what That's we right. want. Uh, okay, well, well, we'll definitely put the, the link up. Um, Thank but you I think, so much. You of are. course. But I think we are, we're at about time. We actually made our time limit this time, which is incredible. It's like a first. So um, yeah. Dr. Bright, we will definitely have you back. I know you're an expert in a, a ton of different areas and always interesting to chat with. You really are. Don't even give me that look. You've done, <laughs> no. you've done the behavior consulting. You run a huge group at Angel. Like, my God. You do some well, incredible work. Just old, that's all. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. And with that, we will let you all go. See you next time. All righty. Thanks so much. See you. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you.